I used to play volleyball with Alan. And Alan kept appearing on TV, not because he was a celebrity, but because he was a socko, a scenes of crime officer. And on various TV news reports, I would see Alan coming out of a house. He would be dressed from uh, top to bottom, from head to foot in white polythene overalls. And he'd be carrying a box of tools and chemicals that would help him gather various clues from the site. For once inside the building, Alan's job was to record what was there, including the fingerprints that had been left around the scene. And having gathered the evidence, it was then passed on to a team of detectives to determine what had been going on and who had done what. Well, I feel a little bit like Alan this morning as we come back to the story of Ruth. For I've been investigating chapter 2, the chapter that we've just read, and discovered the same set of fingerprints all over the place. And they're gods. At times, they're hidden. At other times, they're in plain sight. Let me explain what I mean so you can come to an accurate conclusion about this. Now, last week, we met Naomi. Naomi was a woman who had left Bethlehem during a time of famine. And with her husband and two sons, they went looking for food and for protection. But all they found was death and daughters-in-law. And when Naomi returned to Bethlehem ten years later, having buried her family in Moab, she brought back with her a deep sense of bitterness and a Moabite woman called Ruth, who'd been married to Marlon, one of her sons. Now, chapter 2, and it will help you, I think, if you have it open in front of you, is really about three people. There's Ruth, obviously. There's Naomi, who importantly appears at the beginning and end of the chapter, and we'll be coming back to that. And in this chapter, we're introduced to Boaz, who'll be the means whereby both women change over the course of the chapter. Verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Boaz is everything that Ruth isn't. He's rich and influential. He's a pillar of the community. She's an outsider, a foreigner, and she and Naomi are so poor and hungry that she has to go scavenging for food. He has status and standing in the community. She has none. She's a nobody. 
The whole family had lost face by leaving the land, and Ruth now shares that. And in that patriarchal society, he's a man. Whereas she's a woman, powerless and vulnerable. And as we will see later, identified not by her name, but by her family, or lack of it. And in the genius of this book, the writer lets us into information that Ruth doesn't know anything about until later. Boaz is a relative of Naomi. He has legal responsibilities towards them, but Ruth doesn't know this yet. So the account begins, verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. See, Ruth decides to do something to get some food on the table. So being harvest time, she goes out to pick up the stalks that the harvesters might have dropped or overlooked in their work. Now, in the Jewish law books, these harvesters weren't allowed to go back over the field so that poor folk like Ruth could do just what they were doing. And Naomi gives her a brief and somewhat curt response. Go ahead, my daughter. See, this actually suggests that there's still a sense of hurt and grievance on Naomi's part, as we noted when she first arrived back in Bethlehem. We noted that last week. And by the way, could I say, when it talks about Ruth entering a field, don't imagine the beautifully manicured fields our farms have today, which are you know, divided by fences or hedges or ditches. No, when it talks about fields, this was rather a large cultivated area outside the town where each person's piece of land was marked out by boundary stones. Second part of verse 3. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. As it turned out. In the Hebrew, it has the sense of, you know, it just so happens, as chance would have it, wink, wink. And it belonged to Boaz from the clan of Elimelech. Yes, writer, we we, we get that. You've just told us about his links to Naomi. We see it. We can see the fingerprints that you're pointing to. God's behind this. This is no coincidence. Verse 4. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Just then. (laughs) Wow. What a coincidence. Would you believe it? Boaz turns up on the scene for the first time. And the writer records his opening words of greeting. The Lord be with you. 
Now, actually, normally a writer wouldn't record words of greeting. You know, he said hello, they said hello. You know, boring. Unless there's some greater significance in recording it. And there is. In the midst of all these amazing coincidences, the writer reminds us of the Lord, Yahweh, the gracious, the kind, the promise-keeping God. It's as if he's getting his knuckle and wrapping our foreheads and saying, do you get it? Do you get it? We'll speak more about this later. Verse 5, Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. By the way, I imagine you did, but did you notice the question which was so revealing of the day in which they lived? Who does that young woman belong to it wasn't what's her name but what man is she connected to where does she get her protection and provision where does she fit into our social framework and network now look please don't judge a 3,000 year old story by modern values rather the points being made that Ruth is She's an outsider. She's a nobody. The young foreman, when he was asked by Boaz who, who she belonged to, he didn't even describe her as Marlon's widow. Didn't even describe her as Naomi's daughter-in-law. No, she's the Moabite. And just to rub it in, who came from Moab? Duh. She doesn't understand our rules, he's saying. She's a nobody. Verse 8, so Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. You see, God's fingerprints are Boaz-shaped. For Boaz comes to a nobody and treats her with respect. He gives her personal protection. He calls her my daughter. He gives the foreigner a place. He says, stay in this field. He uses covenant language he says stay here with the women literally in the Hebrew it means cling to them do you remember last week we noticed how Ruth clung to Naomi her mother-in-law it's the same word it's the same expression that is being used here this gives her a sense of community and he makes provision for her needs go and get a drink whenever you need Verse 10, at this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? 
Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, now get this, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. Now, obviously, the people of Bethlehem had gossiped about what Naomi had told them. And although Naomi had been called towards her daughter-in-law, others saw that what Ruth was doing was behaving honorably, and they certainly viewed her more positively, as we see with Boaz. And Boaz also suggests he'd heard about Ruth's new faith. She's come to find refuge under the wings of Yahweh. And in Hebrew, that word that's used there, the word wing, literally means the corner of a garment. Now, remember that for next week. For then, next week, we're going to be discovering Ruth asking Boaz to spread the corner of his garment over her. It's the same language. It's the same words. It's the same imagery. It's the place of blessing where all who seek shelter in the Lord will be rewarded. And Ruth's reaction to Boaz's kindness and grace is amazement that she, a nobody, should find such mercy in the eyes of Boaz. Fingerprints, again. Verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. The outsider, the nobody, is gently and graciously drawn into the community and company of Boaz's workers. And that's actually seen most clearly in the sharing of a meal together. Now, I don't know about you, when I ate a meal, I was always told to clean my plate. My parents told me to eat everything that's set before you. I think some of that may be down to having a grandfather who was born and raised in Falkirk and a father who was raised in Fife. I'm, I'm not saying anything, but I just think this, eat the food that's there and be grateful. Uh, that was my upbringing and experience. It was probably yours. We were told it was the best way to compliment the host, that you didn't leave anything on your plate. But look, if you've ever been to or worked in Eastern cultures, you know that's not how it works. 
If you eat up all the food on your plate, it signifies actually you could eat more. And the host will keep loading up your plate until you just can't consume another mouthful. I remember when Kath and I were visiting Jordan, uh, the folks we went to see told us when we went out for a meal, leave food on your plate or we'll never get out of this place. You know? Don't finish your plate. Have enough. And, and that's what happened to Ruth. This destitute and probably hungry nobody ate until she was full. And there was still enough on her plate to take home a doggy bag to Naomi. For at the end of the day, having worked hard throughout, she returns home with at least 28 pounds, probably about 13 kilograms, of grain. Now, probably that was enough to feed them for most of the following week. She went out empty. She returns full. Does that sound Familiar in this story? Verse 19. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite, interesting that the expression is there, Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers. Again, the expression there is cling to them, covenant language, cling to them until they finish harvesting all my grain. You see, here's the great reveal in this chapter. Ruth thinks Boaz is just a kind and godly landowner. But on hearing whose field it was, Naomi tells Ruth what we already know. We were told this at the beginning of the chapter. Boaz is a relative. He has legal responsibilities towards them. And it's at this point that we see Naomi change. See, she's noticed the fingerprints. She's putting the case together. Have a look again at what she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Now, look, it's obvious she's referring to Boaz when she says the Lord bless bless him. But it's not so obvious who she's talking about when she says, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Is she speaking about Boaz? Or is she speaking about the Lord, who seems to be the subject grammatically of that sentence? Now, most of us, in reading that story, might have thought it's Boaz, but actually, although the Hebrew is ambiguous, the context suggests that actually when she says that, Naomi has the Lord in view. It's Yahweh, the promise-keeping God, who goes on showing his kindness to Naomi. Do you remember last week at the end of chapter 1, she was declaring that God had made her life bitter, that she had afflicted him, that she'd brought misfortune on him. 
But now, having seen the fingerprints, she's able to declare, declare that actually the Lord hasn't stopped showing mercy and kindness to her. Verse 22. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. See, everything changes once you know that the sovereign Lord is for you and not against you. Naomi's attitude to Ruth swings 180 degrees from cool indifference to genuine concern. Ruth left that morning empty and she returned home full. She began work feeling isolated, but she was drawn into community. And Naomi started the day bitter, but ended it full of compassion. She moved from despair to hope. And Boaz was the means whereby God's grace shone into the lives of both of them. Look, let me try and draw out three simple applications as to what we've been looking at. My first application is this. Events in life point to God's rule. Events in life point to God's rule. Fingerprints everywhere. You've just got to see them. This was the case for Naomi. She was struggling. She was an Israelite. She'd been part of the community, but her heart had grown cold. She'd made some mistakes, and her emotions erupted in blame of God. So let my first words be addressed to folk listening who've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ or who knows something of what it is to be brought up in a Christian setting. Like Naomi, like Elimelech, you went your own way. You thought it was a better way, but all you've experienced since has been disappointment, and you're wondering about returning. What sort of response will you find? Will the Lord have you back or, or is that it? Will you feel dumped on the rubbish heap? Maybe there's been significant and deliberate rebellion in your life. And you feel right now racked by guilt. Is there mercy for someone like you? Could someone like you ever be used again for God's glory? Or is God's attitude towards you one of disappointment and rejection? Well, have a look for the fingerprints. See what God is doing. See how through every part of your life he's been there for you in mercy and kindness. See how he's been revealing his love through the words and the actions of believers and through the so-called 
coincidences of life. Why? You're even listening to this message. And how did that come about? Like Naomi, have hope in the non-stop, overflowing, overwhelming mercy and kindness of such a wonderful Heavenly Father. Turn your face and turn your heart to Him today. The second point, having seen that events in life point to God's rule, I want us to see that acts of love point to God's grace. Acts of love point to God's grace. You see, those were Boaz-shaped fingerprints. Although God was at work, he was working through his people. And that hasn't changed. And Boaz stands out for us as a man who, like our gracious God, welcomes the outsider. Who looks to show that person mercy and that person mercy and acceptance, who displays hospitality, who protects the vulnerable, who draws folks into community. You see, the church of Jesus Christ, that body of saved believers, should be the way that the love of Jesus Christ is displayed today. And we're being negligent to our calling if we fail to do just that. To be an inward-looking, self-satisfying, mutually excluding social club is a complete denial of the gospel. We're not here to uphold and defend certain cultural values. We're here to display the extravagant mercy and kindness of Almighty God. And just in case you're sat there nodding wisely and agreeing, yes, Charlotte Chapel should be doing these things, let me ask you what you're doing for that needy neighbor, for that struggling colleague, for that lonely widow, for that isolated asylum seeker, for that harassed mother, for that despairing addict. How are you showing the love of God to others? Acts of love point to God's grace. My third application, my final application is this. Examples of mercy point to God's rescuer. Examples of mercy point to God's rescuer. You see, just as Boaz moved Ruth from being a despairing nobody to an accepted member of the community, so the Lord Jesus Christ does exactly the same. After all, Boaz is a picture to us of Christ's redeeming love. See, Jesus takes hurting nobodies and he promises to provide for them and to protect them. And he amazes us with his remarkable condescension as he notices us and and he brings us and adopts us into his family. He gives us a new identity and purpose. He satisfies our desires with good things. He invites us, as it were, to share around his banqueting table. Such remarkable grace and kindness. Such costly grace 
and kindness. For this whole story points forward to the one who was to be a descendant of Boaz, the one who was going to be born in that very town in Bethlehem, one who was to die on a Roman cross outside Jerusalem, taking upon himself, as the Bible tells us, the shame, the sin, the rebellion of outsiders, of nobodies. And he calls upon you this morning to return to him, to trust him, to receive from him his lavish grace and mercy. Have you noticed the fingerprints in your life? Have you worked out who's been working in the background to bring you back to him? Well, it's time to put all the information together and to come in repentance and faith to him. You came empty. You can return full. You came bitter and angry. You can return with praise and hope. You came full of shame. You can return with a new beginning. And a glorious identity. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the glorious way that we see your character being worked out through the actions of Boaz. Thank you that we see in Boaz and therefore we see in you such remarkable grace and mercy for outsiders, for nobodies. For Lord, that's what we are. We are sinners and failures. So many ways. But we are so grateful that there is a welcome back. We thank you that you receive us back. Father, for some of us, we've we've been, as it were, we made a profession, we made a decision to follow Christ. And Lord, maybe like Naomi, we've gone away, we've done our own thing. Father God, as we think about coming back to you, have mercy upon us. Like Naomi, may we see you in love and mercy actually have been pursuing us like the hound of heaven. Through the corridors of time and our lives, Father, you've been pursuing us. Thank you. And Father, maybe some of us feel like Ruth from, from Moab. We've known nothing of this Christian faith. We've known nothing of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we hear it and, and it just draws out our heart as your spirit works upon us and and Lord, we, we want to delight and we want to come to you and we want to know the forgiveness of our sins. And so even this morning, we turn in trust and faith and repentance. So grateful that you, the living God, will receive us. Hear us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing together as we close. It's going to be a video of the band playing. They're not actually here, but it will be a video of them having recorded that song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. So uh, we're going to be standing here. If you want to stand where you are, that's great. Let's sing this song together to the praise of glory as we draw our service to a close.